Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part two of the book of Genesis, chapters 23 through 25. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your descendants I will give you this land. He will send his angel before you, Eleazar, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman's not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath under my thigh. You will be free from that. But you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master. He swore to him concerning this matter. So the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed. And taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master, Abraham, he arose, he went to Mesopotamia. Remember, that's where Abraham's from, Ur of the Chaldeans. He goes to the city of Nahor. You'll remember that Nahor is the brother of Abraham by the same father, Terah. He goes to the city of Nahor and he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of the evening, the time when the women go to draw water. Very strategic. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, grant me success today. I pray thee and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. He loves his master Abraham. He wants to do the task he's been assigned to do. Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the maiden to whom I shall say, pray, let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. By this I shall know that thou hast shown steadfast love to my master. He's praying to the God of Abraham. And before he was done speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born of Bethuel, of the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abram's brother, that makes Rebekah a great niece and a second cousin to Isaac, right? Okay, so Rebekah, comes out with her water jar upon her shoulder. The maiden was very fair to look upon, a virgin who had known no man. And she went down to the spring and she filled up her jar and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and he said, pray, give me a little water to drink from your jar. This is a stranger. This is a sojourner. She's a woman. He's a man. They're at the well. And she said, drink my Lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand. This is tremendous hospitality kindness, generosity. And she gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, is the prayer going to come true? Is the prayer going to come true? Is the prayer going to come true? She said, and I'll draw water for your camels too, until they have been done drinking. Do you know what that means? How much water does a camel drink? Do you know? And he has 10 of them. A typical camel can drink 200 liters or 53 gallons of water in three minutes. And he's got 10 camels. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw. And she drew for all the camels. This is a very, very industrious, hardworking woman, right? To draw water for a visitor would be one thing. That's a favor. But 
it would be an act of palatable generosity because to draw for all the camels because the well at Haran, and they've researched this well, it is not easily accessible like a fountain or pool or a rope with a bucket. It's not that type of well. It's an underground spring and it has to be approached by an inclined shaft. So to get water, the woman had to walk down the slope, fill her jug, walk back up again, time and time and time again. The water weighed more than eight pounds a gallon. The water jug would hold about three gallons at that time. And the, that'd be about 25 pounds of dead weight up and down the slope every trip for the water, not to mention the weight of the two-handled ceramic jug. So this gal is a worker, right? <laughs> Let's talk a minute about wells and women in the Bible and in many cultures. It's women's work to gather water, right? In many, many cultures, this is the job of the women and children to go get the water. They need it for cooking. They need it for cleaning. They need it for hygiene. They need it to live, to stay alive. And oftentimes, this is women's work, and they often bring their children to help. Uh, in India, for instance, this is called a step well. These are found in India in the water, rainwater. Everything's collected in the bottom. But look at these amazing steps. They would also serve us as temples, but they also serviced as gathering places, especially for the women. They'd come to get the water, they'd talk, they'd catch up, they'd share their life stories because otherwise they're sewing. They're, they're doing things that it's not like us. You know, they don't have like a sewing machine. They have to get the wool and spin the yarn and weave the, the, the all that. So the watering wells were places to congregate for fellowship, for friendship, for womanhood. And so the wells are very popular, especially in the evening when the sun is lower, so it's not so blasted hot, right? This is the well at Nazareth where Mary and Jesus would have gone. It's still there today. It's the well at Nazareth that was there when Mary and Jesus were, were there. Here's uh, Tassat's picture of Mary and Jesus going to get water at the well. Abraham's servant has come to the well in search for a wife for Isaac. He knows what time to arrive. And look how these gals dress in the paintings. Boy, they really dress up to go down to the well, don't they? You know, this is maybe where you're going to meet Mr. Wright. This is really an important, this is an important place. So they really dress up in these paintings. Jacob is going to meet Rachel at the well. It's an incredible love story. We'll get to that soon. But it's love at first sight at the well. Jacob meets Rachel, the love of his life. This is Zipporah. Remember Moses met Zipporah at the well. Same thing. It's a real pickup place. He had to fight off men that were bothering Zipporah and her sisters, and he was very heroic, and he fought off these guys, and they were very impressed with him. How about some of you? Maybe some of you have met your men at the well. <laughs> this is often where you meet the love of your life. You know, they even serve well drinks, at, you know, the, the common ones. So maybe some of you have met at the well. Jesus met Fotina the Samaritan woman at the well. She was all alone. No socializing. Why? She came at high noon at the hottest time of the day because she had no friends and no one wanted to go with her and no one wanted to talk to her because she was 
one of those type of women. She had had five husbands. She's living with the sixth, and he wasn't her husband either. And Jesus strategically put himself in front of her at high noon so that he could meet her and maybe propose to her that he could be her final seventh bridegroom. Remember that? And he could give her living water. So she'd, it'd be like a stream, like a fountain welling up inside her, and she'd never, ever, ever have to come back here again. Uh, it's one of the earliest paintings in the catacombs in Rome. So women at the well is very common. It's very wonderful. It's a very social place in the Middle East. And the camels are thirsty as well and the livestock. So they meet at the well and the man gazed at her in silence. He's awestruck. She's just watered him. She's just watered all his camels. She's working her tail off and he is just staring, gazing at her in silence. And he wants to learn whether the Lord has prospered his journey or not. Is this the one? And when the camels were done drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing 10 gold shekels. Wow, that's a lot of gold. That is not what they were thinking. You know, this guy comes up and he's got gold and he's, uh, this is amazing. And he said, tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to lodge in? And she said, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. He knows that's Abraham's brother. She added, we have both straw and provender enough for, and room for you to lodge in. As for me, he says, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. His prayer has been answered. And then some, the man, Eliezer, bows his head and worships the Lord God. And he said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master, Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love or his faithfulness toward my master. He knows Abraham's God is the one true God. How could any Anyone make this happen. And the maiden ran and told her mother's household about these things. And Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. And Laban ran out to the man to the spring. And when he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms, you're going to get to know this guy very well in the next few chapters because Laban likes gold. All he can see is gold bracelets and gold rings and money, camels, camels, dollar signs. He saw the ring, the bracelets on his sister's arm. Then the man spoke to me. He went to the man and behold, he was standing by the camels in the spring. And Uncle Laban likes those camels too because they're worth a lot too. Camels mean dollar signs and he's got 10 of them. He says, come in, O blessed one of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared a house for you, a place for your camels. And the man came into the house, Laban ungirded the camels. He gave them straw and preventions. He washed his feet. He's giving him the ultimate hospitality. Food is spread out to eat. And the servant says, I will not eat. I will not eat until I have done my errand. Speak on. I'm Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master. He has become great. Now he knows this is Nahor's brother. Abraham's become great. Really, tell me about it. He has flocks and herds and silver and gold and maidservants and manservants and camels and asses. Oh, and you know, his eyes are just, and he wants to marry my sister, he, uh, you know. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him, he has given all he has. All of Abraham's inheritance is going to go to Isaac. And he needs a wife for Isaac. And would your sister Rebecca maybe be available? 
you know. My master made me swear, saying, you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell. You have to go to my father's house, to my father's kindred, and get a wife for my son. I said to my master, perhaps the woman won't follow me. But he said, the Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you to prosper your way. You will take a wife for my son from my kindred's family. If you don't, you'll be free from the oath. He tells Laban the story, and Laban and Bethuel both decide this can only be of God. No one could make this happen. This story is just exactly, this has to be the Lord. And so he bows himself to the earth. He gives them ornaments, costly gifts, and he's ready to go. Let's go. Let's get out of here. Let's go. They, they say he can marry Rebecca. Okay, send me back to my master. And they, then they start thinking, you know, he wants her really bad so they could up the price of the dowry, right? Let's have this guy hang around a little longer, maybe another 10 days. In the Jewish, uh, the Jewish rabbis say it was 10 months. This says 10 days. This is the one who made Jacob work an extra seven years for Rachel, Uncle Laban. So he's good at this. And they say, let's ask Rachel or Rebecca, bring her in. They call Rebecca and they said to her, will you go with the man? And she said, I will go. So they go. And Rebecca said, they bless her. They bless Rebecca and they pray that our sister be the mother of thousands, of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. That's the blessing that Abraham's been promised. Descendants, numerous as the stars, they're going to come through the son of promise, Isaac, and this is going to be their mother, Rebecca. Rebecca and her maids arose. They rode on camels. They followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebecca and went his way. Now Isaac had come from Berhalaroi and was dwelling in the Negeeb. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. Isaac is like his father. He has a prayer life. He goes out under the stars and talks to God every evening. He's meditating in the evening. He lifts up his eyes. He looked and behold, the camels were coming. Rebecca lifted up her eyes and she saw Isaac in the distance. She alighted from the camel. She said to the servant, who is the man yonder walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, it's my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. Why does she do that? Because according to the laws of Hammurabi, which were in existence at that time, the use of a veil was a symbolic sign that she was a freeborn woman, not a slave, not a prostitute. They were forbidden to have veils. So she's a freeborn woman signifying to Isaac she's available for marriage. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. So Isaac sees how much the hand of God is in this. And it's time for them to finally meet. Isaac brought her into the tent. He took Rebekah and she became his wife. And he loved her. This is a prearranged marriage, but it's a match made by God and he loves her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. He loved Rebecca. Now Isaac may have had a bit of a father wound or maybe some post-traumatic stress because remember he had just been bound by his father, probably as an adult man, maybe in his 30s, the Jews say. He was bound by his father and he was going to be made a burnt holocaust. He was just ready to kill him with a knife. That would, even if he was obedient to his father, this might cause some post-traumatic stuff. Isaac had come back from that traumatic event and his mother Sarah died immediately following. Now God has provided a new woman in his life, a wife for Isaac. 
Then we hear that Abraham marries again after the death of Sarah, that he marries Keturah and has six more sons by her. And we get their genealogy, the sons of Keturah. And then we hear that Abraham, though, even though he had more sons, he gives everything he had to Isaac, the full inheritance. But to the others, he still gave gifts uh, and sent them east away from his son Isaac. Why? Again, he's protecting Isaac from any harm. Isaac gets the full inheritance. There might be jealousy. There might be, he's just protecting him, sends everyone else away. So there are the six sons of Keturah. Abraham lives to be 175 years old. He breathes his last at a good old age, an old man full of years and is gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael come to gather to bury their father at the cave at Machpelah, uh, the same place where he had buried his wife, Sarah. And after the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac dwelt there at Berla Hairoi. And that is the place, if you remember, where Hagar met the angel of the Lord and was given water when she was pregnant with Ishmael. This is where Isaac will dwell, in this place where Hagar named God a new title, the God who sees me. Remember that? This is where we find Isaac dwelling in that same place, Berla Hairoi. Then we hear of Ishmael's descendants. And isn't it something that Ishmael has 12 sons? And we're told that the sons of Ishmael and their names by their villages, by their encampments, and they have 12 princes according to their tribes. That is no surprise because this is a prophecy of the Lord and it's fulfilled. Remember when we heard back in Genesis 17, Abraham was worried about sending Hagar and Ishmael out into the desert. And the Lord said, as for Ishmael, I've heard you, Abraham. Behold, I will bless him. I'm going to make him fruitful. I'm going to multiply him exceedingly. He shall be the father of 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. Well, Ishmael did have 12 sons and they were all princes. And he is a great nation to this day. And he died at age 137 years old. The descendants of Isaac, Abraham's son, Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebecca. They're infertile for a while. Abraham is praying for his uh, wife to bear children. She's barren and the Lord granted Isaac's prayer. It took 20 years to conceive, but Rebecca, his wife did conceive. And as she, the baby was growing in her womb, she noticed there was a lot of activity, a lot of struggle. And, and she said, if it is thus, why do I live? This, if this is what it is to be pregnant, why am I alive? Why, why did I want this so bad? She goes to inquire of the Lord, which means she's going to pray to Isaac's God. And the Lord said to her, Rebecca, two nations are in your womb. Oh, she's going to have twins. Two nations are in her womb, two peoples that shall be divided. One will be stronger than the other. The elder shall serve the younger. This is going to be sibling rivalry beyond belief. We had the younger Isaac serving Ishmael, right? Just the opposite of what it, the, the younger the older had to serve the younger. Ishmael had to serve Isaac. Now we have the same thing in this next set of, of brothers. Two nations 
in your womb. Can you imagine as a young mother, barren for 20 years, wanting a baby so bad, and then you get that prophecy of the Lord that, that you have two nations struggling, divided in your womb. There's going to be struggle. There's going to be division. These two brothers will never get along. You know how bad moms, we like our kids to get along. You know, just be nice to your brother. This is going to be an all-out forever battle between these two. When her day to be delivered was fulfilled, there were twins in her womb. And uh, look at that medieval picture of bearing twins. And one has curly red hair. The first came forth red, all his body like a hairy mantle. So they named him Esau. Esau means hairy or rough. Look at little Esau, hairy or rough. And afterward, his brother came forth and his hand was taken hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. And Jacob in the Hebrew means supplanter, one who supplants. Esau will frequently be supplanted by his younger twin brother, Jacob. He tried to supplant the birth order right? He tried to be the first one out. He tried to pull him back. I love this sculpture where she's birthing the twins and Esau comes out first and there's Jacob trying to pull him back and put him back in so he can get out first. So he wants the inheritance. He wants the paternal blessing that comes with being the firstborn son. The English word for Yaakov, for Jacob, another word is overcome, to supplant or to overcome. Jacob is grabbing his brother's heel, trying to overcome him, trying to be the first one out. And they'll have this battle their whole life, these two nations struggling. Isaac 60, when these kids are born, um, and these kids are two nations struggling against each other. Jacob will be renamed Israel. He'll be the nation of Israel. Esau will be Edom and the Edomites, and that will be a thorn in Israel's side the whole way through. Little Esau, red and hairy, he is not supplanted by Jacob at birth yet, but he will become the father of the Edomites, and there will be a history all the way through. The two boys couldn't have been more different from one another. Uh, Esau was a hunter, ruddy, loved to hunt, athletic. Jacob was quieter, uh, more uh, stayed home at the tent, m maybe more intellectual. The boys grew up. Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in the tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate his game. He'd go hunting. He'd say, what'd you get? What are we having for dinner? What stew are you making? Rebecca, on the other hand, loved Jacob. Why? We don't know, but remember what the prophecy was? That the younger one would supplant the older one. Now, last story tonight is the most expensive meal in the Bible, I'd say next to the apple that, that Eve and Adam ate. It's a very, very expensive bowl of lentil soup. Once Jacob was boiling pottage and Esau came in from the field and he was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red pottage for I'm famished. His name therefore is Edom. He will have this nation, the red, the red nation. It's red craggy rock. He's going to be the father of the Edomites. Jacob said, first, before I give you the stew, sell me your birthright. Sell me your birthright. And he's like, I'm about to die. I'm about to die. I'm so hungry. I, what's my birthright to me? This is the spiritual sin of sloth. He could not care less about eternal things. All he's focused on is that bowl of soup and how hungry he is and his carnal stomach growling. Esau would rather fulfill immediate temporal, carnal needs than delayed eternal spiritual needs. He's not thinking of all about his birthright or the blessing, the eternal covenant blessing that comes with that. 
the father will give him a blessing that can't be revoked. And I just had to think how many times do we, we have an eternal inheritance too. You are a son or a daughter of God by virtue of your baptism. And how often are we slothful about our spiritual life? How important is that inheritance to you? You're a beloved daughter of God. You're a beloved son of God. How important is that to you? Do you care? Or would you rather sleep 23 hours a day or watch Netflix, you know? How slothful are you in the spiritual life? Because it's one of the seven cardinal sins. It's one of the deadlies, sloth, spiritual sloth. And people don't think about it very often. But do you care more about temporal things, the here and now, or eternal things, eternal life forever? Which do you think about more? Which do you care about more? Which do you spend more money on, more time on? Because you have a royal inheritance as a child of God. You are a daughter of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You're a son of the almighty everlasting God who sees you. Would you trade it all for worldly things? Trade it all in on a dime for something carnal, some carnal pleasure? Jesus himself says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? and lose his soul, forfeit his life, his eternal life. What did Jacob take when he took Esau's birthright? The birthright was twofold. First, it's a double portion of the inheritance from the father. He gets double everything. Second, it's a special ceremonial blessing from the father. It's eternal. Once it's given, it can't be revoked. So whoever gets the father's blessing, it's forever. Jacob said, sell me your birthright. Sell me your birthright, and I'll give you the stew. Esau said, I'm about to die. What use is this birthright to me? Jacob said, swear, swear to me first. So he swore and Esau sold his birthright to Jacob that very moment. Jacob gave Esau the bread, the pottage of lentils. He ate, he drank, he rose and went his way. Jacob had supplanted Esau. Jacob had overcome Esau. He got the birthright. The hill he was grabbing for in the womb, he got it now. He's the supplanter, the overcomer the one who struggles and wins. Esau had chosen immediate carnal pleasure over the eternal covenant blessing of the father, all for pottage, lentil stew, very, very short-sighted on his part. Thus, Esau despised his birthright. Do not despise your birthright. You were bought at a price. The ransom was high. Take time to develop your spiritual life. Take time to be unplugged from the world. Turn the cell phone off. Turn the TV off. Get to a quiet chair in your home. Read the Bible. Pray. Waste time with Jesus, especially this Advent. We can care about all the stuff we got to do, all the presents we got to wrap. I got to go shopping. I got to get online. I got to get that. I got to get that. I gotta, and, 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 we're, and we're just caring about the temporal here and now. We're not even thinking about the birth of Christ or the coming of the Savior, the coming of the King of Kings. We care more about the temporal, the carnal, the here and now than the eternal blessing of the father that he gave him to us. This is my last slide. It's a painting I have in my bathroom. It was painted by the art teacher here at Creighton Prep, Mr. Coniglia. And I like it because it reminds me like all the things we're attached to, all the things we carry, the heaviness of all the worldly things we try to carry around. Just don't you just want to be cut free and just be detached from the world and just that eternal life with Jesus, that's, that's, that's where it's at. Let's pray. Um, Lord God, we just thank you for this lesson tonight. We thank you. Um, help us keep our eyes on the eternal and not the temporal, not the carnal, not the here and now, 
not the things that pass, not the material things, but on you, Father, this Christmas especially. On this feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, Mother Mary, you were so humble and poor and and you got to birth the King of Kings with nothing. You saw the eternal and help us see Christmas through your eyes. And um, thank you, Father, for the gift it is to be in your word together. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That was part two of the book of Genesis, chapters 23 through 25, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible studies, visit SeekingTruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.